Hello everyone, welcome back to Case Acquaint. You have found episode 28. We have an exciting update for you today. After all these months, authorities have officially named a suspect in the Peyton Fields case. That person is the uncle of Peyton's, in fact, the one who found her. His name is David Pravat. He is also the uncle who was charged back in April with breaking and entering and larceny along with his half-sister for allegedly burning down somebody's camper. There are reports that the camper belonged to his ex-girlfriend who may be a witness in some way or other to the Peyton Fields case. So he was being held on $50,000 bond when on April 28th, he used the county jail's phone to call his mother, Lisa Hunt, and that's Peyton's grandmother, the one whose house Peyton was assaulted and strangled in. According to that phone conversation, which of course was being monitored as they usually are, he actually threatened the life of the lead detective on Peyton's case, and his name is John Leatherwood. So, Pravat said to his mom, quote, Leatherwood is coming to an end. On the recorded jailhouse phone calls, he also said, I've been in here plotting. I hope they know that. That's all I've been doing. So now, he's being charged with intimidating a witness and communicating threats. They've also added $40,000 to his existing bond. He's not been charged with Peyton's murder yet, but at least they finally named a suspect. Pravat had been free to terrorize the county of Pender for five months before getting himself locked up in April. We're hopeful that if anyone else in that household who had anything to do with the obstruction of justice, tampering with evidence, or intimidating witnesses will also be hit with some charges and jailed. This family has obviously allowed access by Pravat to other children besides Peyton. There's a chance those children have also been abused by him, whether or not they died. That needs to be investigated, and everyone who's been complicit in this abuse must be held responsible. Surviving abuse victims need to be provided with some intervention and support. That's all for the updates. Now, on with today's story. Today, we're going to tell you the story of the murders of Cheryl Baker, Nadia Medley, and Peyton Medley. In September of 2010, Cheryl Baker, a teacher at the Utah School for the Blind and the Deaf in Ogden, Utah, began a new chapter in her life. The 50-year-old, who had never been married, had met and fallen in love with the man of her dreams. His name was Mike Bollinger, and he was a 54-year-old pilot who appeared to have much in common with Cheryl. A practicing Hindu, Cheryl belonged to the local Sri Ganesha Temple. After the two met on a flight to Alaska and began to date, Mike also joined Cheryl's congregation. He even learned Sanskrit in order for them to practice their new shared spiritual beliefs. Friends and family had never seen Cheryl so happy. The two enjoyed an interest in love for the outdoors, and they would regularly go camping and horseback riding together. They were in some ways well-suited, but in other ways, People wondered how they were able to maintain a peaceful relationship when sometimes their beliefs did clash. Bollinger, in addition to working as a contract pilot, 
also operated a small guide service taking tourists through rugged mountain terrain for outdoor activities like hunting. And Mike was a gun enthusiast, but Cheryl hated guns and didn't like having them in her home. Still, Cheryl, having been independent for most of her life and used to living alone, was the perfect partner for a pilot and outdoor guide who was at times away from home for several days at a time. Cheryl was said to possess vast amounts of patience and was not the type to place demands on others. Cheryl Baker was born in Detroit, Michigan, and her parents loved the outdoors and traveling. That love was passed down to their kids when they took them on vacations focused on the outdoors, like going on bicycle tours every summer. As she got to be a teen, she became a lifeguard, and as an adult living in Utah, Cheryl utilized the mountain rivers for rafting, which is a favorite activity among locals. Now, as a young professional, Cheryl acquired some special skills. She got certified to teach deaf children, and that was when she began to teach at the famous Utah School for the Deaf and the Blind. She was even in the newspaper for some of the work she performed over the 30-plus years she was employed at that school. Cheryl held a master's degree and several endorsements, one of which was for art. She was extremely artistic and creative. We're going to provide a link to a slideshow that contains some pictures of some of her art in the show notes if you want to check it out. She's quite talented. She also taught at other area schools, but the Utah School for the Deaf and the Blind, that was where she worked for the longest period of time. After Cheryl married Mike in 2010, she seemed content and happy with her life, which she had always managed mostly by herself, with the support of a loving family and of course the large group of friends accumulated over the decades of contributing as a teacher in the community. She owned her home on Tyler Avenue in Ogden. She traveled with friends all over the world. She maintained contact with her family. But after getting married, she had a companion to do these things with, and this was something that Cheryl took joy in, according to others. Indeed, her family and friends were excited to hear about the significant changes she was about to make in the spring of 2017, shortly after her retirement. Cheryl and Mike had plans to move to Idaho, where he was said to have landed a contract job as a pilot. They borrowed money against the house Cheryl had owned for years, and they purchased a small home that sat on several acres, and it was situated in Canyon County near a small town by the name of Caldwell. It was within a half an hour drive of the new piloting job in Boise that Mike had gotten, and Cheryl planned on setting up an art studio for herself. The beauty of the Idaho landscape would be a fabulous inspiration to her creative mind. The house, along with several outbuildings, needed some work, so they agreed Mike would stay at the Idaho property, living in a trailer while fixing up the house, and Cheryl would stay in Ogden, a five-hour drive away, to sell the home the two had shared for the last seven years. But Cheryl, whose final day at work was June 6th of 2017, decided to surprise Mike at the new house, having just returned from a short visit with Mike to New Mexico to attend the wedding of one of Mike's relatives, Cheryl may have decided there's no reason to sit around in Ogden when she could be enjoying her new farm with her animals and her husband of almost 10 years. After all, she had owned the place for over a month and hadn't even been there since closing. 
Meanwhile, Nadia Medley and her teenage daughter Peyton Medley were also looking forward to a fresh start in Idaho. Nadia's boyfriend of two years, Mike Bollinger, had purchased a farm right outside of Caldwell, Idaho, and it had plenty of room for Nadia and Peyton's bunnies, reptiles, dogs, cats, birds, and other pets. This was a serious move for Nadia, who had been parenting Peyton on her own since 2014, when her husband Todd passed away from a heart attack. Nadia, who was born in Germany, spoke five languages, and she worked as a massage therapist. Unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot about Nadia's past. She was seemingly happily married to Todd Medley, and they had a daughter named Peyton. Nadia and Todd worked at a pet shop, and they bred small animals in their backyard to sell. Todd self-published a couple of novels. Peyton was only about 11 years old when her dad died suddenly and unexpectedly of that heart attack in August of 2014, and they were left with no relatives here in the United States other than Nadia's in-laws, Todd's family, who lived out of state. Over time, they slightly lost touch with the rest of the Medleys, but they did still see each other from time to time when circumstances allowed. From an outsider's perspective, I'm not sure how much anyone can gauge the impact Todd's death had on Nadia and Peyton, but it must have been a shock, and it must have left a void in their household. Nadia, having a strong exterior, was more than likely thrown into survivor mode, and since it was her job to maintain the household by herself and to provide for Peyton, she may have just been beginning to realize the contentment she had felt and perhaps now missed when she met Mike Bollinger in 2015 when he walked in for a massage at her place of work. And the person she met must have seemed like an excellent partner. After all, he was older, he had a seemingly lucrative career, he acted like a caring person, and most especially, they had quite a lot in common despite the 15-year difference in age. He portrayed himself as someone who worked for several days at a time and then had several days off at a time, which he would devote to taking the girls camping, horseback riding, and exploring the mountains of the entire region. He was even a fellow atheist, which is definitely not easy to find in Utah. Nadia was extremely active on social media, and she made regular posts about adventures the three of them took, all the while expressing gratitude and happiness at this new relationship. She appeared to truly enjoy his company, and he truly appeared to enjoy theirs. There are reports that Nadia broached the subject of marriage, and Mike was hesitant, so she didn't push it. There are other reports that Nadia, who was likely impressed by the money at Mike's ready disposal and the fact that he was a pilot, asked Mike for small amounts of money sometimes when her bills got behind. This led to a temporary cooling off of the relationship, but that was somehow resolved and the relationship went back to the way it had been previously. Peyton began to call Mike dad, and by March of 2017, Bollinger brought up the possibility of the Medleys moving to Idaho when he started his new job in Boise. Nadia said yes, and why wouldn't she? She'd been happily married before, and it was only natural that she'd be looking for the same stability of a partner that she'd enjoyed for years. 
Bollinger had even taken on some parental duties, such as picking Peyton up from school from time to time. May 3, 2017, the very day Baker and Bollinger closed on the house in Idaho, Nadia and Peyton packed up their belongings in their menagerie of pets and they made the five-hour drive to the farm in Canyon County, Idaho. Nadia posted pictures and videos of the beautiful landscape, narrating their plans for the property with a contented manner, belying the unknown double life Mike Bollinger was about to see blow up in his face and that caused a series of events, the mystery of which was only surpassed by the heinous cruelty that was evident upon discovery by police. So what do we know about Gerald Michael Bollinger? Well, he was born in Montana to an LDS family, and like any good Mormon, he served a mission in the Philippines. Once he returned, he married his first wife in the LDS temple. This was the beginning of his lifelong habit of chronic philandering. He cheated on his first wife, and she told reporters that he was physically abusive. So after 10 years, she made the hard decision to divorce him. By that time, they had some children, of which she retained custody, and he had some visitation. He established a pattern of marrying women, cheating on them, getting divorced, and then marrying the women he cheated with. He just couldn't stay faithful to anybody, and it is said that he met Cheryl Baker while he was still married to his prior wife. By this point in Bollinger's life, it's safe to assume he figured out how to manage his employment in such a way as to complement his proclivity to maintain relationships with multiple women without them ever knowing about one another. As a contract pilot, he could easily explain away absences for long periods of time, and to add to that, being a professional guide and outfitter provided more opportunities to disappear without being suspected of infidelity. If we consider just Cheryl and Nadia as partners, he seems to have chosen them carefully based on characteristics he had learned were easily exploited. For example, both Cheryl and Nadia were independent, trusting, and loyal partners. They didn't expect him to be disloyal at all, and they believed what he told them about himself. They also had their own sets of ethics and values, which Bollinger would exploit by learning about and pretending to participate in with them. This is a quick and easy way to bond and build trust with the target. He acted like he had nothing better to do but spend time with them, and these two unique women, who each possessed unusual and special personality qualities and interests, were again exploited by Bollinger using his own quirky but seemingly harmless hobbies, drawing them in and sparking their interest. His love of motorcycles had an equal impact on both Cheryl and Nadia. Neither had much interest in it before meeting Bollinger, but riding on the back of a motorcycle and attending riding events offered a dash of danger resting on a safety net of over-the-hill respectability. There's no doubt that Bollinger carefully crafted and nurtured a persona that offered both stability and excitement, both partnership and independence. And without question, if you were to ask either Cheryl or Nadia, a deep and permanent love. 
So Bollinger would pretend to return from some exotic work trip, and he'd whisk the medleys away to places like Yellowstone National Park, festivals, camping, concerts, sports events, or some other scenic adventure, and then he'd be gone, and the medleys would go back to their normal schedule. At home with Cheryl, it was much the same. Cheryl wasn't the type to ask questions, and while she was obviously an intelligent woman, she was on the quiet and passive side, preferring to accept Bollinger's absences with grace and use that time to pursue art, spirituality, and time with friends and family. When this case broke back in June of 2017, there were reports that Bollinger, Baker, and Medley were in a polyamorous relationship because many could not believe someone could lead such a life for an extended period of time without being caught or even suspected. But that was only because they didn't know Bollinger, they didn't know Baker or Medley. Bollinger, the ultimate manipulator with decades of experience, chose his victims very well. Baker had never been married and she was a trusting person. Nadia, a widow in need of a partner who was ready to make whatever changes were necessary to offer her daughter some teenage years of quality, and she was hoping for another solid relationship with a family man. And what about young Peyton? Unfortunately, despite all the promise and talent this child held, Bollinger used her as a tool, just as he did his former wives, lovers, and her very own mom. He told her to call him dad, took her along with them on trips out of town, he was kind to her, he offered her hope that she would once again have a father figure in her life. She could not but have yearned for that after losing her dad at such a tender age. Peyton, from what we could learn, was a smart, witty, and interesting young lady. She had a YouTube channel, which is quite entertaining, providing insight into her aspirations, the views she was forming, and yes, even some of her struggles. Peyton would have had much to contribute to the world, just like her mom and Cheryl, had that opportunity not been snatched away so violently. In order to provide a more complete picture of the overall situation, we're going to go over the timeline we compiled from various reports. The beginning of the end takes place in mid-2017. So on May 3rd, Baker and Bollinger closed on the farmhouse in Canyon County, Idaho. The funds for this purchase were secured by taking out a mortgage on the house in Ogden that Cheryl had purchased herself, and the plan was to sell the house in Ogden. As we said, that very same day, Nadia and Peyton, with Bollinger's help, moved their entire household to the farm in Idaho. Nadia posted on social media several times throughout the month, adding images and videos of the home she and Peyton were now sharing with Bollinger. On June 3rd, Bollinger and Cheryl Baker traveled to New Mexico to attend the wedding of a Bollinger family member. On June 4th, Nadia created a post on her Facebook page. June 6th was the very last day Cheryl worked at her teaching job. She and Bollinger had agreed that she would continue to live in the Ogden home till it sold. On June 8th, Peyton's last social media post was created. Up until that point, it's been reported that she had been in constant contact via social media with friends, but it abruptly ended on that day. Now, before we continue, we need to ask, 
What do you think Mike Bollinger's plan was here? He had to have known this charade was going to come to an end either way. He'd already set himself up, somewhat, by ensuring he now had a house in his name, with the mortgage carrying very little risk since the money was borrowed against Cheryl's Ogden house. He'd been caught cheating before, so it's hard to imagine that he was worried about it at all. Was his intent to simply divorce Cheryl? Maybe he was planning on only killing her and doing it before she'd have a chance to find out about Nadia. It's hard to believe that he would move Nadia, Peyton, and all of their animals to Idaho if he didn't intend for them to all live together. He could have easily left them behind in Ogden after moving to Idaho. Right now, we can only wonder what his actual plan had been, if he even had one. The police have not released what date Cheryl arrived at the Idaho property, but we're going to assume it was June 8th, since Peyton was extremely active on her social media until that day. Cheryl had told friends that she was planning on surprising Mike at the farm. At first, nobody thought much of the lack of social media presence, the apparent lack of reply to texts or unanswered phone calls. And later, a neighbor recalled hearing a woman's screams in the middle of the night on or around June 10th. June 11th, a friend of Cheryl's received a text saying, Take care of my dogs. I don't know if I'm coming back. On that same day, it was reported that Bollinger was seen in Ogden, Utah. By June 19th, family members were beginning to get worried. It's been reported that both Bollinger's family members and Nadia Medley's friend or family member reported their loved ones missing, and welfare checks were requested. So police went to the farmhouse, and there they discovered three bodies in an outbuilding partially covered with a tarp. All three had been shot, and after some period of time, all three were positively identified as Cheryl Baker, Nadia Medley, and Peyton Medley. Inside the house, the carnage continued. Pets had been locked in the house for at least two weeks. Some snakes and bunnies survived, but everything else, including dogs, cats, and birds, had died. Authorities wasted no time in issuing warrants for Bollinger for whatever they could, considering it was an active investigation. By June 21st, he was wanted for failure to report a death. There were several possible sightings of Bollinger after that, but on July 12th, Cheryl Baker's 2007 Ford Focus, which had been missing from the scene, was found at a Wyoming campground. This campground was located in the Bridger Teton National Forest, where coincidentally, Nadia had at one point posted about having visited with Bollinger. As a result of this discovery, authorities closed the Pacific Creek Campground where the car was found, as well as Lava Creek, Box Creek, and Clear Creek trails. Now, the Pacific Creek Trailhead is described by the U.S. Forest Service as a major access point for the southwestern expanse of the Teton wilderness, and it intersects with many backcountry routes. And Bollinger had spent a lot of time in the area, and not just on short weekends. He had a unique perspective, since he not only explored it extensively over the years, over the land with horses or on foot, but he also had the ability to explore it from the air as well. And while it's one of the most remote areas and has some of the roughest terrain in the country, if anyone knew it well, 
it would be Mike Bollinger. After casting a wide search net given their resources but coming up with nothing, authorities officially named Mike Bollinger as a suspect in the three murders. There were some sightings reported to authorities in the coming weeks. On July 20th, a report of a sighting near Swan Valley was called into the Bonneville County Sheriff's Office. This is approximately 70 miles from the location at which the car was found. On August 3rd, another sighting was reported to Fremont County Sheriff's Office, but that sighting also could not be confirmed. By August 8th, enough evidence had been gathered to charge for three counts of first-degree murder, bringing the total number of charges to four. All three victims had been shot one time. This was initially a meticulous investigation, and multiple agencies cooperated with each other over three states and several counties. They'd been able to quickly identify Cheryl by her dental records. Nadia and Peyton were more of a challenge, since there were no known records relating to their DNA. They needed to make sure they sourced true samples of items belonging to each of them and matching those to the bone marrow from their bodies. The sheriff held press conferences, granted interviews, and provided as much information to the public as possible without compromising the investigation. They appealed for members of the public to be on the lookout for Mike Bollinger because there is no doubt he had been well-armed and the evidence also showed he was dangerous. But over the months, leads slowed down. More cases were created, as always happens. And now this case is pretty much cold. It's only been one year. But you already had the sheriff telling the media on the one-year anniversary, quote, I believe he's dead either from taking his own life or dying from exposure to the elements. He also said they won't stop their investigation until they locate remains or find him. There's a chance they're just hoping Bollinger gets complacent. Because what we do know about Bollinger is that he can live in the outdoors, even in harsh winters. It's not impossible, after all, if one is prepared. And don't forget that he had about two weeks to get himself a suitable plan. He ditched the car, and that could mean he's nowhere near the area of Wyoming. But it could also mean he was confident in his ability to elude capture and survive out there in the area that he knew so very well. I'm actually surprised the sheriff said that about him because there are so many cases of people living out in the wilderness in these times alone and utilizing all the resources available to them, such as other people's belongings. It may be remote, it may be rough terrain, but there are still plenty of resources up there in an area like that, which is a very popular destination all year round. You have summer vacationers, tourists, boating and water skiing enthusiasts, hunters, and winter visitors as well, such as snow skiers. You can live out there in the wintertime if you know what you're doing. Here's an example. It was hard for police to believe for a number of years, but finally, the so-called mountain man who stole food, gear, guns, and ammo from unoccupied vacation cabins in the rugged mountains of Utah was finally caught by a chance encounter with a pair of hikers. If not for that meeting, he may still be up there happily living off the land or the cabins on the land. His name is Troy James Knapp, a fugitive from California who's now serving time in prison 
for once shooting at a police helicopter. Over these many years, Knapp had lived and traveled over a thousand square miles of the mountain terrain. When he was finally cornered, he wasn't exactly suffering from exposure to the elements. He actually looked pretty healthy for a guy in his 40s who'd been living in the mountains for at least seven years. So on this one-year anniversary of the murders of Cheryl Baker, Nadia Medley, and Peyton Medley, we'd like to remind everyone that there's still a killer who has not been brought to justice, and the loved ones of these three human beings of value are waiting for that. If Bollinger has died, there's no denying that possibility, but assuming so in order to dismiss and ignore this case is only continuing a dangerous habit that we're seeing law enforcement fall victim to. They may be out of leads, but they must not stop looking, because as we all know, the agency tasked with overseeing this case is the one entity with the right to hold all information about it. If they cease to continue investigating and visibly searching, making public appeals, and following up on leads, there is nobody we as a community can depend on to do so. They're the only agency that has that power and all the information on the case. So we have to make sure they understand that we're waiting for answers just as loved ones of the victims are doing. Peyton Medley had a life full of promise left to live that was stolen away from her by the act of an arrogant and selfish man. Cheryl Baker had a life of service to others behind her and a life of creativity and joy still yet to pursue. On the very first day of that new adventure, her precious life was snuffed out like the animals Bollinger bragged about hunting and he was the one person she should always be able to depend on, who she trusted, and who lied to her and took advantage of her trust. Nadia Melli was a widow who overcame incredible emotional pain in order to manage her life and the upbringing of her daughter, working hard and also searching for a quality partner to share the rest of her life with. She was manipulated, lied to, and when this story broke, she was called a mistress of the man she thought was single and ready to build a life with her. The man who ultimately shot her in the head. Did he also force her to watch him kill her very own daughter? That's only one of many questions that need to be answered. Mike Bollinger is 61 years old, and when he went on the run, he had gray hair, brown eyes, he was about six foot one, and weighed about 240 pounds. He likes motorcycles, planes, hunting, guns, horses, and the outdoors. He is a master manipulator and somewhat of a chameleon, so check out his picture and keep an eye out for him. There are rewards being offered, and we're going to place links, images, and other items in our blog entry at our website, caseacquaint.com, if you're interested in learning more about this case. Please share this story so we can keep it in the public consciousness and hopefully someone will see him skulking around some small mountain town or camping in a remote area. If you see him, contact the Canyon County Sheriff's Office at 208-454-7531. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.